Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah. You already know what time it is. It's that official time. When we take this worldwide. So now it's time to turn it up Surf the radio waves as we begin to burn it up We all up in your area like landscape Definitely bringing you the power slamming pancakes It's the mandate that you tune in It's time to move out so we can move in And recognize that this is no illusion I'm here to clear the air so that there is no confusion It all started off in the book of Genesis When Jacob was wrestling with who he thought was his nemesis And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him He touched his hip but he really couldn't have devoured him and from that point, then we hear a name change, rearrange the game, so now we gotta change brains. Uh, so I'm here to let you know it's time to listen to the Pancake and Power Slam show. Let's go! Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam. Turn it up, turn it up, it's the Pancake and Power Slam show. Uh. Turn it up, Now listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam show by Crave Wrestling on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page Crave Wrestling. Episode 219, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Pancakes and Power Slam show and I am... Chris Featherstone, your host, getting funky like a monkey, live and in living color of your wheel. This is another fun and exciting episode on the Pancakes and Power Slam show. And as always, I'm ready to have some fun on the show. This week, we have a really, really interesting guest uh, for the Pancakes and Power Slam show. I was just going through just a list of people who I want to be on the show. And I thought of this person, I thought of this person because I just figured that this person would be able to give some really interesting insights on just backstage and just decision making and just different uh, nuances on the WWE because this person uh, really had an opportunity to to be someone and and have a really uh, uh, illustrious uh, tenure there, but for some reason, it just uh, the 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 WWE brass uh, thought differently, and so I'm really interested to talk to to see exactly the just the logistics and uh, you know the backstage antics and and things about that. And just as far as 
uh, not only that, but as well as just the current whereabouts of this person for you all to be able to support him because he's still a wrestler and he's still wrestling strong. And so those things are just important for me uh, today. So I selected this person to be on the show today because I think uh, there's a lot to talk about with this person, and I'm really excited about that. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's introduce former FCW Florida Heavyweight Champion and former SmackDown star, no, none other than Eric Escobar. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing good with you, man. You're overselling it. <laughs> I, I had to put you over, man. <laughs> no, man, at least someone does. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll certainly get to that, man. So let's actually uh let's actually reverse the order. I usually uh do the promos uh at the end, but let everybody know what your current endeavors are right now. Uh, right now I'm actually uh working for a promotion here. There's a local promotion here in Puerto Rico called WWL. It's uh, it's a new project. Uh Hugo Stevinovich was supposed to be part of it in the beginning. I mean, he was part of it in the beginning, but, you know, some mishaps here and there, and, like, with the owner, and uh, he's no longer with us, but it's still a good project. Uh, we had some shows in Puerto Rico, Mexico. Uh, he's looking to expand to the U.S. It's, it's kind of been like a stop-and-go type of type of deal. You know, we, we get going strong, and something happens, and we stop for a bit and then come back. But he overall has been a good project, WWL in Puerto Rico. Look it up. We're on Facebook. Um, also working with uh, making and trying to make a deal with uh, uh, companies in Mexico. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to uh, start touring Mexico by myself without the WWL brand. But uh, those, uh, those have been the uh, two constants um, in my wrestling career. Awesome. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, it looks like you're going strong, man. I looked at um, some footage, and uh, I just see you with all types of belts and uh, still doing your thing, man. That, that's awesome. So let's uh, let's rewind to your beginning stages uh, as a wrestler, or even as a wrestling fan. Uh, who actually inspired you as a kid? What what wrestler or wrestlers inspired you as a, as a kid? To be honest, like I was, uh, I, I wasn't really into like wrestling, wrestling per se. I was actually more into women's wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be a, a huge fan of Glow, Glamorous Ladies yeah, of Glow. Wrestling, and uh, yep. um, that was back in the day. You know, um, I was a big fan of that when I was a kid. I mean, I would watch WWE, I would watch uh, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man, and and all those guys. But I was really, really into, like, the women's wrestling thing. Then fast forward a little bit more into, like, the late 90s, I'd say, the Attitude Era. That's when I got hooked. That's when I mm-hmm. was like, whoa, this is what I really want to do. I want to do this. Like, uh, I used to play baseball, and I wanted to play baseball. But after that, uh, after my baseball career was over because of a shoulder injury, um, I really got into that the attitude era and, and watching guys like The Rock and Austin and, and Baker, Foley, Triple H, all those guys really like, I was like, oh my God, like you will watch WWE back in the attitude era. Everyone 
had a place. Everyone had something to do. You mm-hmm. had something I like heat. You had metal. You had um, the other show, and then you had SmackDown and Raw. And everyone had something. I mean, you had um, Edge and Christian doing like the five second pose thing. Uh, you had the Hardy Boys, uh, um, Kane Taker, um, yep. H, uh Foley, Austin. You even had Kai and Tai. You remember Kai and Tai, Takamichi Noku, and uh, Funaki? Indeed. Oh, my God, man. I was such a huge fan of that. I thought it was hilarious, and, and it was so entertaining. And, yeah. and and the brood, I remember the brood with Gangrel and Chris H when they first came out. I mean, everyone had something, you know, and, and it was it was it was great to me. It was great. Yeah. What do you think the difference of I mean, I think you I think you described that perfectly as far as everyone had a place. Yeah. What do you think differs between that? You know, we're we're talking nearly twenty years ago at this point. Yeah. You know, seventeen to twenty years ago. What difference between that product and the product we see now on TV? Well, I'm I'm just gonna go on record and say I have not watched wrestling since 2009. Mm. I can stand to sit and watch a whole wrestling show. I, I can't. I just can't. I, I'm just not that I'm not a fan of the product. It's just that it got to be a little more of the same time and time again. You know, you mm. see the same guys doing the same things. Against you know this guy, except for like if you watch A against B, A is a heel, B is a babyface, and then fast forward a couple of months later, now it's the other way around. Now B <laughs> is the heel and the A is the babyface, so it's it's kind of like to me it's like the same thing. The difference between mm-hmm. then and now, I guess, is it's that um, you don't see that everyone has a place like. I still stay in, t- in touch with a little bit of uh, over online, and I watch a video here and there and, and, and all that. You'll have guys like um, Zack Ryder. I always use him as an example because I remember when I was first in Deep South, told us, get over, and eventually you'll get over in the roster. Well, he's mm-hmm. not by himself, you know. Nobody was giving him a little bit, and then he went out there and he got over huge. What happened? Why, why, why doesn't he get the ball, and or at least they give him the ball and they take it away right away? I mean, it's it's not. I mean, I don't think it's fair. You have yeah. an amazing worker like uh, Dolph Ziggler, and you know, what's wrong? I mean, why, why, why is he not the main event guy right now? You know, you see things like that. Um, even another guy like Heath Slater. I've always been a big fan of his work back when from, I remember when he first got hired in deep South and I worked with him a ton back in FW. I mean, what, what's wrong? Why, why you're not pushing these guys and you're just trying to push the same guys over and over again. If it doesn't yeah. work with this guy, try another guy. I mean, tomato, tomato, someone, something's going to have to stick eventually. Why not yeah. use these guys and, and just keep trying with the same guys over and over again. I think that's yeah. the difference. I think you make an excellent point there. Yeah. Um, you know, specifically with someone like Zack Ryder, because like you said, he put himself over with the inter- Internet Championship Series, you know, Internet Champion and things like that. And the, uh, you know, uh, was it Long, Long Island, Long Island, True, True Long Island Story is what it was. Yeah. And so, 
you know, and, and so like you said, he put himself over. It got to the point where the WWE kind of had to put him, had to make him United States champion. But, you know, then the Cena thing comes around and it just kind of pulled the plug. Now, you worked backstage in the WWE and you were able to see, you know, so many people kind of be put up in a in a decent position and just a rug swept right under them. Can you think of anyone, you know, in the back that uh, expressed while you were there, um, that expressed their disdain uh, to you as far as just not really being in a good position? Mm. To be honest, I mean, you would hear guys back in FCW, mm-hmm. um, you know, complain about, and this is just talking about what we did in FCW. You would have guys come in and just complain about um going out there with the poopy face because they had to do a job. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why do you have the poopy face? Well, you know, man, you know, the, the, they don't want to give me anything. And they always have me losing massive matches. Like, so? <laughs> well, you know, if you, if you keep losing matches, people are not going to believe in you. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's the uh, perception. But if you do your job and you even when you lose, you still get over with the match. Eventually, will catch on, and they'll see how good a worker you are, and they'll start, you know, wanting you to be in a main event spot. Does it make mm-hmm. sense? They said, well, I don't really see it that way. And then uh, it got to the point where after they gave me the FCW title, um, I barely won any matches, to be honest. Like, we had so many house shows at FCW, that was uh, Steve Kern's uh, uh, perception on learning how to work. You had to work shows instead of just practicing. You had to work shows to get better. And I would hardly win any matches. And I remember to this day, Dr. Tom um, addressing the situation. He asked me in front of the entire class, Eric, when was the last time you won a match? I'm like, well, I don't know. And he said, see, and you look at Eric, he's still over. People still want him to be in the main event spot. And I was doing the main mm-hmm. event spot with Sheamus and Drew McIntyre and Wade Barrett and some of those guys that, you know, WWE, they're still with the WWE being on a good main event spot, even though I lost all those matches. And I, I mean, I just went out there and just did what I had to do. That was it. Yeah. Let's, let's tie it in. Let's tie into, uh, this situation, I don't know if you've seen on the net or anything. You say you haven't watched wrestling for a while, but it's been very widely publicized. Uh, a big, you know, letter, uh, a big, I guess you can say a, a manifesto even, uh, of Ryback. And, uh, you know, he, he's uh, been very vocal on just the uh, frustration that he has within the company. Uh, to, you know, as far as not getting the particular spot that he wants. Now, yeah. do you think, now, do you think that a wrestler should do that while they're contracted with the company? I mean, so they, is that an approach that, you know, they should make? Because it doesn't seem like that's really going to help anything. You know, a lot of things that he said was, you know, there's some validity to it, but it doesn't seem like that's really going to help much. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It's a touchy subject when you're under contract with a company. Um, it doesn't look good on you or the company if that's the situation. 
um, at all. But he does make a, a valid point. I mean, why, if you're paying me to clean toilets and I'm cleaning toilets, why are you going to pay me less than the other guy that sweeps the floor or the other guy that um, is selling concession? Why are you going to pay me less? You know, we're on the same bracket. We're all doing the same thing. We're working for this particular situation. Why are you paying me less? I mean, I'm doing what you're telling me to do. Mm-hmm. Am I not qualified to make as much money as the other guy? I understand. Um, you know, there's brackets. Like, if I come in and you tell me, uh, we're going to give you a mid-card spot. Okay, cool. So, I get a mid-card spot. I'm not going to go and ask for Undertaker money or John Cena money, obviously. But if I'm in the same, if I'm in a good position with the company, you're telling me, okay, you're going to lose, you know, X amount of matches. Why are you paying me less money than the guy who's winning? If I'm doing what you're telling me to do, Mm. you know, you need, you know, when they say uh, it takes a village to like raise a kid or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the the saying goes. It takes a bunch of, if you want to call them, jobbers or enhancement town to make one superstar you mm. you need a bunch of those guys to make just one you you need a bunch of guys who will be willing to lose so you can make one john cena mm-hmm. so in a way it does make sense that the guy should be upset about the whole situation because he's doing what he's been telling what they're the company's telling him to do and yet he's making a lot less money now yeah. the other demands that he wanted and that they wanted he wanted like hotel and, and car and all that, well that's that's different. But in all fairness, I think he does make a, a valid point. But it does not it does not help if you're still on the contract with the company. I think there's ways there's ways to do, you know, certain things. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about with FCW, and you worked with a lot of people in FCW. You worked with uh, Eddie Colon. You were uh, yeah. the Puerto Rican Nightmares, uh, otherwise yeah. known as Primo. Um, you worked with uh, MVP. You worked with Wade Barrett. Uh, you worked with Drew Galloway. Um, who would you say was probably the the best person you worked with? You also had a program with uh, Alberto Doria when he was Alberto Banderas. Uh, I watched some I watched some footage of that a few weeks ago, actually. Um, who would you say that? Uh, and you did mention Sheamus as well, uh, defeating him for the championship. Uh, who would you say that the best person that you worked with, and probably the not as best, uh, most difficult person you worked with in FCW? Oh, uh, I mean, there were so many uh, that I had like very very good programs with him because. When Primo and I were tag teams, or tag team in FCW, they decided to give us. We were the first FCW tag champions. We won the tournament, mm-hmm. so we win the titles. And they were really, really before the the tag team tournament. They were really pushing for us to be heels, and we tried everything under the sun. I mean, we cheated, we did everything to try to be heels, and we were sneaky, and we were like, you know borderline about to cuss the crowd out as a hey man uh, you know yeah hate us and people were not buying it they were cheering for us I'm like I sit down with Dr. Tom and Primo we are scratching our heads like what are we doing wrong and Doc is like no you're not doing anything wrong I guess people are just you know buying into the whole Latino vibe so might as well just run with it okay so they turn us babyface so we had a problem we were the only babyface tag team that got over so 
we won the titles, then we lost them to someone else. They came back to us. We lost them to someone else. So we had, like, so many programs. We had a program with uh, Brad Attitude and uh, Dolph Ziggler. We had uh, Seamus. Was it Seamus? Heath Slater and uh, Steve Lewington. Uh, we had one with uh, Drew Galloway. Gavin Spears and, uh, as well, right? Yes, Gavin. I think Gavin it was was the one tagging with uh, with Dolph mm-hmm. at one point. Yeah, it might have been, might have been. Yeah, and uh, it we had Drew Galloway and uh, Wade Barrett. So you know, it was uh, it was different. With uh, we had a lot of good programs with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like some other guys that I worked with. Uh, we I had one match with Loki, which was one of my best matches ever. I think it was hard hitting. I I think he kicked me like three times in the chin and <laughs> almost knocked me out. But I enjoyed it to be honest. I mean, it wasn't his fault though. I didn't put my I did not protect myself very well. But I didn't care. I trusted him. He trusted me. So we all good. I worked with Tyson Kid. Oh, Tyson Kid and D H Smith was the other tag team that we worked with a lot. Mm. Um. Uh, then I had the singles run with uh, I worked with Galloway and Barrett and Sheamus and I say that I mean and I don't mean this in a bad way not to bury him or anything but I think I had a uh, um, a little bit of problem sometime with Sheamus um, he he always wanted to like be the dominant big guy I'm like listen I mean if I stand right next to you we're basically the same size. So, you know, there's no big guy, little guy situation going on here. You know, when I was working Kali on the WWE house shows, that was different. It was big guy, little guy. But I still didn't back down from him. I I got in his face and uh, almost smacked him once. I think I did smack him. I don't care. Remember. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as far as, like, difficult, there, there was, like, no difficult times, but when he got on that mindset that he was big guy, I was a little guy. That's when he got a little bit more hesitant about a few things in the match. And but aside from that, I, I don't think I had any any problems with anyone. Yeah. Now Seamus, yeah, he's always been a. Per- I mean, from what I've seen, the years that I've seen Seamus, he's he's been a really he's always been a very solid worker. But there's been conflicting, more negative reports that he's kind of. Uh, kind of stubborn, kind of hard-nosed when it comes to interacting with them. Did you have any experiences like that? Uh, I had uh, um, a couple of guys approach me. Before I started working the program with them, I had a couple of guys approach me in FCW that uh, that he was in. He was being a little bit too stiff with them. Uh, and as a joke, some of the guys, Fandango started this. He used to, he used to call me Uncle Perez. Because he said that I was like the bull Durham of developmental because I had been there for so long. And, uh, and some of the guys would approach me and say, hey, man, uh, I need your help. I need your help. I'm like, what's going on? He said, can you talk to the office? I'm like, about what? You can talk to the office. You can talk to Dusty or Steve or Tom. I don't care. Uh, well, you know, I'm working shame. It's a bit stiff. You know, he, he keeps hitting me a little bit hard and I'm like, just, you know, tell him to ease up. Just pop him back. And he'll understand what's going on. Um, so, no, I mean, you know, uh, 
I just, I'm fairly new here. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I'm like, so you want me to ruffle feathers for you? Is that what it is? Um, well, you know, but uh, they they listen to you. I'm like, okay, no worries. So when they when I got into the program with Shameless, I do remember one time uh, we were working and he popped me a couple of times and I always give the guys a, a three strike rule. So he pops me once and I go like, okay, one. He pops me twice, two. He pops me three times. Okay, my turn. So after I popped him back, I left my forearm and, and my hands stamped in his back for like a week. Um, I think after that, we had no more problems. He wasn't stiff or anything. Um, I don't know if anyone in the main roster has been complaining about his work or anything, but hey, if they listen to this podcast, then hey, uh, that's one way to settle it. Just pop him back and maybe he'll understand, maybe not. I don't know. There you go. Great point. Yeah, so you were talking about, and I, I remember hearing a lot about you and seeing some footage uh, before you got the call to SmackDown um, and just knowing who you were as Eric um, Escobar and, you know, and, and just all the times that you, and, and just the really, uh, the presence that you made in MCW and how popular you were and the, the length of time you were, you know, in Deep South and MCW, I think both of them together was about four or five years. And so you finally got a call up to SmackDown. Who made the decision to finally call you up to SmackDown? And who came up with the idea with you being like the love interest of Vicky Guerrero? To be honest, I never, I never knew. <laughs> they just, I was on the road with uh, SmackDown. We did uh, uh, a couple of tours South Af- uh, South Africa, South America, and Mexico, and all that. Um, hung out with some of the guys, uh, spent time with them, and then uh, we went to TV. When we got to TV, um, I think Ricky Steamboat, he comes up to me and says, has anyone talked to you yet? I'm like, about what? Oh, okay, uh, I'll get back to you. And he walks away. I'm like, okay. Um, a few minutes later, um, Jamie Noble, same deal. Hey, did anyone talk to you? I'm like, no. Oh, okay, I'll get back to you. Finally, John Cena comes up to me. Hey, uh, did I talk to you about your deal? I'm like, am I being rent? And he's like, no. Don't mess it up. And he just walked away. I'm like, what's going on? So I guess even John Cena knew what was going on, except for me. Everyone knew except for me. And then they finally, uh, Ricky Steamboat pulled me aside, and he told me, he said, hey, you're going to debut as Vicky Guerrero's new boyfriend. I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's awesome. That's great. I was excited about it, in shock, because I, 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 I didn't believe it. I'm like, this has got to be a rib. There's someone is messing with me and it's gonna be a big joke, yada yada yada. Until I watched the actual video, until I got home and I watched SmackDown when they aired it, and I watched it and I saw myself. Oh, okay, I made my debut finally. That's I couldn't believe it. Still, I mean, they're filming everything. It's gonna be a big, big, big rib because The Rock was filming um, the other guys around that time, and they had footage of him and they placed it on the Titan Tron, I'm like, I mean, it can't be. I mean, one of my, my my idols, one of the guys that hooked me into this whole wrestling thing is going to be in the show that I'm going to debut. It's got to be a rib. There's got to be a joke somewhere here. Oh, my God. And I kept telling myself, it's a joke. Someone's joking with me, yada, yada, yada. And until I watched it, I couldn't believe it. But I wow. never 
never knew who whose idea was it to do it or anything. Just Steamboat and Noble and Cena coming to you, kind of saying yeah. the same thing. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was it was good to see you. I mean, understanding how you know much time that you put in the developmentals, it was good to see you on the main roster. However, I personally believe that they just totally bombed your booking. The creative just did such a horrible job with booking overall. How, how do you? What do you think? I mean, how, how do you think that the creative did you on SmackDown? Because they really didn't give you the push that you deserved from the time that you, you know, spent in FCW and the popularity that you gained, you know, when you when you were there. But when you're on SmackDown on the main roster. They didn't really, you know, expose you the way that uh, I believe you should have been. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's one day I'm doing one thing, the second day they're changing it. A lot of things went went down backstage. Uh, not to my knowledge, I I mean, everyone's telling me, "No, you're doing okay." Everything is good, yada yada yada. They gave me a couple of talks. Hey, you gotta change this, you gotta change that. Um, but you know, I kept trying and trying and trying. Um, I think it's just one of those things, to be honest. Um, to be completely honest, because I I do not understand if I did anything wrong. Um, when I got released, no, I mean John Laurinaitis, he didn't say exactly why. They just said that the only thing they had for me was to job me out. I'm like, why? Why? I mean, why? Okay, well, send yeah, me back I, to I remember, Yeah, I remember when you actually made you, – you beat Matt Hardy, and you got the spot for Team SmackDown on bragging rights. Yeah. They just did a complete overhaul and took the five that qualified and removed the entire team to create yeah. another one. Well, who came up with that idea? I have no clue. I have no idea what went down. Um, we had the match. There was something wrong with the match. I think it was like a handicap match because it was only four of us, I think, on the on the team. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the guys was sick, so they put all four of us against the five of them. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Dolph, myself, JTG and Drew. Uh, I think uh, Shad from Crime Time he was sick, or I can't rem- I can't even remember what it was. I can't remember what it was, but I do remember that uh, it was that, and then we had the match, and then changed the whole thing. I'm like, okay, well that's that. Uh, what do we do now? What, what are we doing now? And and that was it. I mean, I was disappointed about the whole thing. I was really excited about being a pay-per-view well, after all that time in a developmental mm-hmm. contract and finally getting called up straight to uh, to beating Matt Hardy to go into a pay-per-view. I'm like, wow, I'm on cloud nine right now. And I have the biggest heel of the company by my side, which mm-hmm. was Vicky. I was like, wow, this is amazing. But to be completely honest, after I got hired after a bit, I realized that there was someone very close to the the to the head honcho so to speak uh or 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 someone up there 
did not like me. And I came to that conclusion after they they call me like one of the creative one of the writers will call me and say, Hey, we have you penciled in for this and then a few weeks later, boom, nothing. Oh, we have you penciled in for that and boom, nothing. Um, then I started getting like uh um conflictive reports like they would put me over in developmental, oh this guy's ready, this guy's ready and then I will get feedback from the office of well well, they're saying that you well, I'm like, but who's saying this? I mean, there's only one trainer here. Well, I mean, who's who's crapping on me? Well, what, what the hell did I do? You know? So I knew right then and there that someone had it out for me. Someone was gunning for my head. So I knew it was going to be an uphill battle. But, you know, I kept kept mm-hmm. at it until, until, you know. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, because I've I've interviewed many people on, the, on, on my show here, and it's, it just seems like the common thread is when you're not a threat in the pecking order, you know, you're kind of uh, widely accepted as, you know, one of the, the good boys, you know, one of the good guys and one of the people that, that, that are likable. But once you become a threat in the position, you know, uh, and once you – you know, potentially get a push, then it seems like, you know, toes start to get stepped on and, you know, uh, some some cutthroat activity starts to, to transpire. Now, do you think that with the, you know, uh, affiliation with Vicky and just the early push that you received initially coming to SmackDown, do you think that that could have been one of the reasons why, you know, someone was off, you know, someone was out for you? Maybe. I mean, who knows, to be honest. Um, it, it might have been. I mean, if, if you look at it this way, um, the Latino community is like around that year was around like 9% all over the world. There's mm-hmm. like Puerto Ricans, Latinos everywhere right now. So let's just say it came up to like a 15% of the worldwide uh, uh, fan base that WWE has. Maybe fifteen percent is they're Latino. I mean, they have a big, big uh, market in Mexico and South America. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Maybe someone said, "Whoa, we gotta put the brakes to this guy." I mean, I mm-hmm. do not look Latino at all. I mean, the the average Latino would have dark skin, dark hair, um, you know, shorter. I'm six foot three, white skin. If I keep my mouth shut and and if I practice my English, like when I was in the States, I would speak English every day. I don't get to speak it every day here in Puerto Rico. And I would lose a little bit of my accent. It will only come back if I'm drunk or really, really tired. Oh. Um, but, you know, my my accent was like almost gone from time to time. But if I kept my mouth shut, you could say this guy is another uh, uh, Caucasian, is another American. That's it. You You do not know that I'm Latino. But once I open my mouth and I say that my last name is Perez or Escobar, as the character will go, um, you have a Latino. You say, whoa, but this guy does not look Latino. He looks like a like a Latino, like a Mexican from the telenovelas that does not look like the average Mexican. So this guy may be marketable. This guy can speak both English and Spanish. That's good. 
You know, we can send her to South America, we can send her to Mexico to promote Delia Luigi to be an ambassador. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll make him a star here in the States and he'll be a huge star in Mexico. Maybe that was it. Maybe someone saw me as a threat and decided to like, okay, he's got to go. You never know. I mean, to be completely that's honest, point. you never, you never know. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I agree with you. And your run on the on the big stage, your your run on the main stage only lasts, you know, a little less than three months, and that was just crazy to me. And then in yeah. early January 2010, it's been about almost six and a half years now when you, you've been released from the WWE. What kind of triggered that release? Was it just a matter of someone coming to you and saying, we have nothing else for you? How did that come about? No, I just got a call. I remember it was a Sunday because um, I was getting ready to go to church. Uh, and uh, I get the call, and that was it. I didn't even fight it. I didn't, like, I was in, in, in shock. I was like, man. I was like destroyed. Was it Lauren Yeah, he gave me. A, hmm. he, he called me, and that was it. I mean, he didn't even he didn't even offer me to to help me out and get in Japan, which is something that I re, I regret that I haven't been able to go to wrestle in Japan. I would love to do at least one tour of Japan, and then after that I can retire happy. You know, um, mm-hmm. that was like the only. If, you know, if anyone ever asked me, oh, do you have any regrets? I'm like, yeah, Japan, that's it. I mean, I've always wanted to go wrestle there. I wrestled in Mexico, South America. I wrestled in Europe, and I wrestled in the States. I wrestled in WWE, I wrestled in Puerto Rico. The one place that I really, really want to go wrestle is South America, is, uh, is uh, Japan. That's it. Yeah. Just, one, just one tour of Japan, that's all I'm asking for, that's it. Before I retire, if I can't do it, that will be my only regret. Wow, yeah, man. Best wishes to you because you know New Japan is is such a, a hot ticket right now. Um, yeah. You know, especially with their affiliation with Ring of Honor, um, and just because their affiliation with Ring of Honor is allowing New Japan to you know cross brand and cross promote here in the states, and for us to have more awareness of the New Japan product. I've been following New Japan for probably about. Uh, uh, I'd say closely about 10 years I'd say um, Infrequently about 20 And uh, yeah I would say probably I would say probably now more than ever um, The past 5 years I'd say um, With the advent Of the Bullet Club and Chaos And things, and, and factions like that is Japan is just a, a Really really hot promotion To be a part of so man I'll tell you what Eric uh, You deserve it and I definitely wish you the absolute best, you know, in uh, in that journey. Uh, you're what, 36? You'll be what, 37 this year? Yeah, I'm getting yeah. old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're around the same age, so uh, no, don't don't say old too much. Don't say old too loudly. No, nah, but, but, uh, but, but, but wrestlers, we age like dogs, man. Oh like, yeah, I'm, I'm 36, but I feel like I'm 120. I'd imagine. I'd, you've been wrestling for how long now? 16 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, you're 36, but those are in dog years. I, I yeah. My my sure. first yeah. year, my first year alone, I wrestled over 200 matches. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was at, what, 20? Yeah. Wow. Man. Well, I definitely wish, uh, you know, uh, how long do you think you got left in you? Oof. If I can get 
if I can get the deal that I'm working and uh, try to work out in Mexico, I'll probably say like a year, year and a half. Okay. And then yeah, after my a year and a half, you're going to pack it up, huh? Yeah, probably going to hang them up. I mean, you know, means to an end. I'm, I've am i always been a big fan of uh, Mexican wrestling. I always thought it was, like, so entertaining how oh. sometimes even the referee have their own entrance music and all that. I'm like, wow. It was it was it was funny. It was very entertaining to watch and everything. And I got to you know I got to wrestle with some of those guys in the, in Mexico. Uh, um, you know, a couple of times I, I did Triple Mania, which is like the WrestleMania of Triple A, and back in mm-hmm. 2012. Um, then I did a couple of shows with some of them guys down there in Mexico, and uh, it was a great experience. Um, but now I'm trying to work out a deal so I can uh, uh, become part of a company, you know, on a regular basis. Um, I know they got good alliances with Japan. So if everything goes as planned, um, that will be something that I will talk to them about if they can help me out, you know, mm-hmm. um, go to Japan at least once. And then after that, I'll, you know, fulfill all my commitments to them, and uh, after probably like a year or so, then I'll decide to uh, hang him up, and then wow. after that, I'm just gonna try to focus on acting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's great, man. I, I really appreciate uh, you being on the show. Sixteen years is a lot. You know, we occasionally chat on Facebook, so just keep me posted on the Japan thing, and uh, I'll be more than happy to uh, you know promote you know whatever uh, endeavor you have. Uh, on my page, um, any uh, any other closing thoughts? Uh, and uh, where can uh, all the listeners find you as far as Facebook and Twitter? Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram as Eric Escobar eight seven twelve. Facebook just Eric Escobar, um, and that's about it. I mean, they they want to bring me in for a, for a show. I'm doing running uh, wrestling seminars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm all I'm all business. Um, they just want to chat. They can hit me up on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and we can chat. And uh, also, I always send a shout out to uh, Tyrus, TNA, mm-hmm. uh, George Murdoch, uh, Bill DeMott, Doctor Tom, Steve, all my guys. Uh, hope everyone is doing well. And uh, yeah, rock on. Awesome, man. Thanks thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Have a good night. You too. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. Four corners. Three. Our mind. Let's go. The whole squad is making it clear We taking this year You know who we are But you don't know why we here So this is where the big boys play These big boys play Like who defies the living guy Get out the big boys way Outsiders with the swoop in We live as kings You see in us But our third man waits in the wings And when the time is right We shock him with the proper attack I go for dolo but ain't solo Cut the promo in black Hollywood Hendrix Prizzle pinning them 
to the max. And I'm Das Wonderkin with the strength of a hundred men. With one intent to see the will fulfilled of the one who sent his son to give himself. But you rap about your gats and your rags torture. White coffins when I drop a bomb. My mic's awesome. Never lost faith. You in all space. You can all skate, suffer, but never cripple. No bin walls in my cross face. <laughs> From here to Saturday, raving, anticipating. I was frostbit, now I am glacier. Mixed with some Vader. Get to hawking with these animals. Using God for my defense in Alabama. We jamming. That's beautiful Bobby eating. Me and Priest, we the dangerous alliance. Nah, the Harlem Heat. Tie the do-rag before we do battle. You're talking sheep. You all what you speak. This too sweet. Till the number is took back. We repping that wolf pack. The foundation shaking. No mistaking. Yeah, we shook that. Trust in God we trust. Pushing forward. Never look back. Meekness ain't at all weakness. Some people mistook that. Stamping out this crook rap. He turning the power on. On the razor's edge. Leg drop after a power bomb. Tired of the lies, man. We bringing the truth through. Diligent and fruitful. The owners in our group, too. It's good to be king. Sold out this war is brutal. We playing them war games. Our army go move, too. You too. I'm in the Raptors with a bat in my hand. And stand to shatter all your plans so they don't matter. And the grand scheme is that easy. We tag teaming, sign the brothers, we love it, demand the win, establish it, this the clash of the champions. <laughs> this is where the big boys play, huh? We ain't here to play. Once again, I would like to thank Eric Escobar for the interview. That was great stuff. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for all your insight and your time with FCW and Deep South, uh, and as well as... Um, the WWE, uh, he just he just messaged me and said thanks for having me, man. Appreciated. I went to publicly on my um, on my show say uh, thank you, uh, Eric, and thank you so much for uh, being part of the show. So without further ado, we're going to spend the next forty five minutes talking about some stuff, talking about all things wrestling and beyond. And I would love to do it tonight with our special guest host, uh, formerly from four one one million dot com. I would like to do, introduce Sean Kelly. How are you tonight, sir? Hey, Chris. How are you? Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you well. Great to have oh, you. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start with um, Muhammad Ali. Uh, we'll talk about we'll talk a little bit more about him at the end of the show as well when we do our Flavor of the Week, just reliving WrestleMania 1. Um but what type of – what are your thoughts on Muhammad Ali and just as far as his contributions uh, just as uh, as a, an athlete and as a humanitarian as well? Well, I, I've always loved Muhammad Ali. Actually, I, I remember quite vividly in, in third grade we had to do a book report on anybody we wanted, and I actually chose Muhammad Ali. So I, I've been following him yeah, for a long time. Um, I'm kind of young, you know, to, to have seen him in his prime. Uh, that was before I was born, really. But uh, my father was a big fan. That's how I got introduced into, you know, boxing and wrestling. And, uh, I mean, that, he called himself the greatest. And, you know, a lot of people have called himself the greatest over the years. But for only one man, he's been able to make it stick. And that's because he backed it up. And that was Muhammad Ali. So he uh, yeah. he changed the sport of boxing. It used to be... Uh, you know, just a couple of tough guys banging it out, but he made it entertaining. Uh, as you could see in the in the raw package that they played uh, in the tribute to Muhammad Ali, uh, he 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 was very open about his um, 
his, the wrestling influence had on his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, copying Gorgeous George, calling himself pretty, calling himself the greatest, all the trash talking. Uh, he really turned boxing from uh, from a, just sports, and it was really he was kind of like the the sports entertainment you know factor in, in boxing. Yeah, I, I agree. And he was, you know, he, I, I think that he was one of the people who were instrumental in the whole rock and wrestling and the cross promotion and just really. Um, setting the map for kind of taking pro wrestling away from a niche market. You know, him and people like Cindy Lauper and and so forth around that rock and wrestling era, you know, uh, having him and including him in that era around, you know, WrestleMania one time, WrestleMania one and two, I think he was definitely one of the people who was the most instrumental in taking wrestling out of that uh, kind of, kind of, you know, uh, cornered market, kind of boxed in market. So definitely, you know, uh, kudos to him for that. And just, he's my, you know, favorite uh, boxer of all time. I I don't think there's anyone better than Muhammad Ali. And I think that uh, he he definitely will leave an indelible mark in the, not only the sports world, not only the boxing world, uh, but uh, definitely the wrestling world and the sports world. All together, and I definitely think we're going to see. I think he's pretty much a shoe in for the celebrity wing for the Hall of Fame next year. What, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, well, for WWE, I mean, if not next year, maybe the year after. Uh, I know that they kind of like to limit the number of um, deceased, you know, inductees. So depending mm-hmm. on who they go with for that that category, I, but he definitely has a very strong chance. You know, having someone like Muhammad Ali uh, kind of vouch for for WWE for during WrestleMania, uh, bringing in those extra eyeballs. You know, what's going to happen with Muhammad Ali outside the ring? I think that that played a big role in in making WWE what it is today. Yep, absolutely. So, bold question: Who do you think will headline the Hall of Fame next year? Well, you know, if if, if past this prologue, as they say. I think there's a good chance it might be Goldberg because you have, uh, you know, you have him coming in with the WWE 2K17. You had a similar arrangement with uh, the Ultimate Warrior. That's how he kind of got brought in uh, with Sting. Uh, so, you know, if, if we're going by that, then I think Goldberg has a, a pretty good shot at, at being the headliner for, for next year. Hmm. What about you? Very, very interesting. Yeah, I think that's a pretty bold prediction, and I, and I, and I like it. I'm going with The Rock. I think The Rock will headline it uh, next year. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually tied between two. I'm, I'm tied between The Rock and I'm tied between Taker because, you know, there's been rumblings that, you know, Taker wanted this year to be his final year uh, as a competitor. And, uh, you know, I think his match with Shane, I, I still – I wasn't a big fan of just the buildup, and I, I wasn't a fan of just the match happening altogether. But it was a memorable match. I think it was – you know, I think it definitely delivered. And, you know, I, I don't think The Undertaker should you know, hold his head down as far as if that was his last match. I think that was definitely an honorable match. He won the match. It was a hell in a cell. Um, so I definitely think that, that, you know, if that was his last match, that would be something to be proud of. So, you know, it, it may be Taker, and I, and I definitely would be totally okay with that if it was Taker and, and Taker competed his final, you know, his final bout um, at WrestleMania. 
and he won the Hall of Fame, you know, the the, the night before, and he he could be the, the only person who technically would be still an active wrestler while he's in the Hall of Fame because he would wrestle the night after and have that one last match. And so I definitely think there's a lot of money that would be built around Taker competing his last match after being in the Hall of Fame. So I would I would be more of, an opo- uh, of a proponent of that and just having, like, The Rock, you know, go in 2018. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It could be either one of them. I mean, The Rock has strong connections to Florida where – Mm-hmm. It, that's where WrestleMania is going to be next year, and uh, you know the Undertaker. He's you know he is getting older. There's always rumors of you know this being his last year, and if that is the case, then he's definitely uh, you know shooting straight to the top of the list. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. And then let's talk. Let's talk about Kimbo Slice, and, and unfortunately, you know he passed away um, this week as well. And you know that's that you know, 42 years old i mean that's, that's such a young age you know to to pass away and um you know there there there's been reports that that says undisclosed reasons but i've seen others that said heart issues um it's really tough because i watched the uh i watched the um, the bellator match between him and Dada 5000 last year uh, or earlier, earlier this year. Uh, I, mean, I think it was earlier this year, but uh, yeah, it was. It was rough. It was just so. It was really, really rough to watch. And you know, just for the past couple of years, it just seems like his his cardiovascular um, and just his endurance have been lacking. And it's just really tough to see someone like that that young, um, you know, leave us um, in, in that manner. Um, do you have any, you know, memories of, of uh, Kimbo Slice? Did you ever watch any of his uh, uh, bouts, or did you ever, you know, hear about any of his hype on YouTube or any other media outlet? Yeah, I was first exposed to Kimbo Slice during his, uh, I guess, you know, viral video street fighting days. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I remember watching, you know, him. He would walk in and just beat the hell out of a guy and walk away. And it was, uh, it was quite a thing to see. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, this guy's a monster. You know, he he could have a, a bright future as a as a professional fighter. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he he did. I was just, you know, I was looking over his record. He had a he had a really good record. You know, he's undefeated in boxing, and he lost, uh, you know, two official bouts in uh, MMA with one no contest, but you know, with five wins. And it's a really really good record considering, you know, he he basically started as an untrained street fighter and you know, became a, a national sensation. Yeah. I just wonder how he could have been implemented in the WWE. Like how would you, you know, if you were in the creative staff, how would you have implemented Kimbo slice and just kind of um, capitalize on the fame that he got, you know, a few years back, how would you, you know, kind of integrate him in the, in the WWE? Well, I mean, he, he has fame and notoriety for being able to beat the hell out of people, and, and that's basically what I would have him do for a while, just kind of establish him as a as an unstoppable monster. Um, I'm not sure if he was a gifted promo person. If he if he was, then, you know, he could handle that himself. But if not, you'd pair him with somebody uh, with, with the mic skills to kind of back him up and hype him up, kind of like what they do with uh, Brock Lesnar you know, with Paul Heyman. So I think yeah. they would follow kind of a similar path. Um, you know, I, one of the things that 
all these wrestlers say whenever you know they're interviewed is you know you know Stone Cold Steve Austin is just me turned up to eleven or The Rock is just me turned up to eleven. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would I would want to get a sense of you know who he was as a person. For all we know, he's like very soft-spoken and, and gentle. <laughs> I, I don't know who, how he was as a person. Or he could be, you know, a maniac. I, I don't know. But either one yeah. of those things, I think, especially if if you're coming in, you know, brand new to the professional wrestling game, it's probably easier just to just play yourself, but a, uh-huh. an exaggerated version of yourself. And, and that's what I would have him do. But couple that with, uh, you know, kind of like this unstoppable force. Yeah, yeah. It's... You know, and the thing is that MMA, you know, type of stigma, it kind of seems like, Um, you know, I think he was, I think that he was polarizing enough to to have a presence, you know, in the uh, wrestling world, you know, especially, you know, him and Ken Shamrock. I mean, he went against Ken Shamrock and, you know, and and, uh, in MMA, and I think that, uh, you know, it was scheduled, um, and, and him and so he would he could have that type of uh training you know with him and so you know i think it could have worked um yeah it could it could have worked uh, uh bellator 138 is uh shamrock and slice and then earlier this mm-hmm. year was uh him and dot 5000 february um but yeah it, it could have worked uh but the thing is just with that mma uh, the MMA title, it can become a stigma sometimes in the professional wrestling world. With uh, you know, when Rampage Jackson was in TNA, and you know, I've been talking to his uh, his uh, agents to, to get a a date locked in for to, to talk to Rampage. I definitely want to talk to him about that. But um, yeah, it's just that MMA stigma. I I, I would have been interested to see how they could have uh, overcame that. But I think it could have worked. I think it would have been interesting. Someone who doesn't have an MMA stigma at all is Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar was, he was uh, confirmed to compete at UFC 200 against Mark Hunt. Um, uh, Yeah, this is really interesting. Just breaking news in the past few days. Just totally, you know... (laughs) Flipped the wrestling and UFC world upside down. You know, one of the most buzzworthy topics of the entire week. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brock Lesnar? Um, you know, they, they're talking about he's been training since April, so he's had three months uh, to train against you know whoever he was going to compete against. Uh, now we know it's going to be Mark Hunt. What are your thoughts on Brock Lesnar actually? You know, kind of kind of scratching that itch, so to speak. I've watched his uh, recent interviews with ESPN. He was just saying that he just, he couldn't go 20 years out and say, you know, and I wish that he would have competed, you know, uh, one more match, you know, so to speak. So, Do you think it's a good idea um, to do it right now? Because Vince and the WWE are expecting him at SummerSlam, but you know, come July the 9th, you know, if he just gets pummeled by Mark Hunt, uh, you know, the New York State Commission is saying, you know, hey, you have to be cleared, you know, by a doctor, if you know, if you want to compete. So, right. it, you know, contend, you know, it's contingent upon his UFC fight, because if he gets followed, then there goes your SummerSlam, you know, publicity and, and marquee, uh, you know, person. What do you think of the timing? 
Well, I think I think it's good for Brock Lesnar, and I, I I don't think it's so good if you're Vince McMahon. I think it you know yeah. there's a huge risk, like you said, involved with that. Um, you know, for Brock Lesnar, you know it's it's the biggest UFC event that they're ever going to do. He's a major part of it. He's probably getting paid a boatload of money. Uh, oh yeah. He he like you said he he's answering that that question. You know, like it's nagging at him. You know, if I wasn't sick. Um, you know, what, 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 what would I have done? How, how would I perform if, if I didn't have diverticulitis? Mm-hmm. And so now, now he's able to answer that, you know, whether he wins or loses, you know, knowing the answer, is, whether it's, even if it's losing is, is better than, than always wondering for the rest of your life. So it, there really is no lose situation here for Brock. I think even if he loses, when he's losing to a guy who's known for like knocking people out, you know, just by striking them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to lose any credibility there. Um, so as far as he's concerned, I think he's fine. I think it's it's a great decision for him personally. Um, but for WWE, like you said, you know, if he if he gets beaten too bad, if he doesn't get cleared, then he can't be in SummerSlam. Uh, and you know, I, I think SummerSlam is going to it should be able to sell on its name alone. I don't think without Brock Lesnar, SummerSlam is going to you know, all of a sudden turn into this unmarketable event. I, I think the name alone is, it will bring people in, mm-hmm. but I think for the, it'll be a bigger loss for the fans because Brock Lesnar is a great attraction. I think uh, he's, they've been using him pretty well ever since uh, WrestleMania 30. Uh, and, you know, it, it would, it would just be unfortunate for the fans not to be able to see one of the biggest attractions at one of the biggest wrestling shows of the year. Yeah, I I agree. I, I agree because I, I don't think that people would not want SummerSlam because Brock Lesnar's gone. Um, but I think it will it would definitely heighten the anticipation for SummerSlam. You know, with with Lesnar being there, wasn't a big fan of him and Taker going against each other last year um, at SummerSlam. But I did understand the marquee, you know, type of. Uh, um, presentation of it uh, of the undertaker versus Brock Lesnar at the you know biggest you know event of the summer so I understood that um, but I I was saying you know I said on my Facebook live yesterday um, on the Crave wrestling page I think that this actually if, if if Mark Hunt does not just pummel Brock Lesnar to the fact that he can't compete I think either way, Mark Hunt going against Brock Lesnar is advantageous to the WWE, you know, barring, you know, like I said, not a, a pummeling, um, because you can kind of um, you can kind of play on the whole Samoan bloodline uh, with with Mark Hunt, and I think that that paints, I think I think that creates a really good angle for uh, Brock Reigns too. Uh, because I don't want to see Brock Reigns too at, at WrestleMania. I just don't think I personally don't want to see that. But I think Brock Reigns too should happen because Brock Reigns one was so good at WrestleMania last year, and I think right. number two at SummerSlam would really uh, be marketable and and real really be a, an amazing main event like it was at WrestleMania. So I mean, it really plays in to. You know, from a, from a an angle, from a creative standpoint, you know, if he if he wins, if he beats Mark Hunt, you, you know, there's there's material for Paul Heyman, you know, 
you know, I you you want to talk about your bloodline, you know, I went to UFC and beat, you know, uh, a Samoan, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Paul, Paul, there, there's so much material for Paul Heyman to have there. You know, I went to UFC and beat someone in your Samoan bloodline. Now it's your turn again, you know. And if Brock Lesnar loses, he can come out, you know, and just destroy Roman Reigns or, or just kind of, you know, do a face-to-face with Reigns. And Paul Heyman can still have enough material to say, you know, well, yeah, you might – UFC, you know, one of your Samoan bloodlines may have defeated me for defeated my client in UFC, but like, unlike Mark Hunt, you can't do that, you know. So it will it, it will create some material for him no matter what. So I think from a creative standpoint, I think that Mark Hunt was the best person that could have, that, that could have been chosen to go against Brock Lesnar for WWE's sake. Yeah, you're right. There, whether he wins or loses, you know, there is a if if Roman Reigns is the direction they want to go in, and I think it's a good one. There's there's plenty of material, and I think even more importantly is we never got an answer in um, in Brock Roman one of of who is better. Exactly. Yeah, because Seth Rollins came out with his you know money in the bank and cashed in. So we don't know who would have won. Each of them could claim like you know I was kicking your ass. No, I was kicking your ass. Well, let's let's settle it at SummerSlam. So that's uh, you know it's a good way of of getting that that closure. You can build in the UFC stuff, and uh, and have a huge main event at SummerSlam that isn't necessarily like a, like you said a repeat. You know you don't want to do it at WrestleMania because you've kind of done it already, but you mm-hmm. could still do it in SummerSlam. Yep, absolutely. I think you're gonna. I think it will be a really really remarkable, remarkable piece. So let's talk about Raw for a second. Um, sure. You know, we start we start off with uh, all the competitors on the top of ladders in the ring talking to one another, uh, and then all six battle it out. And then my boy Tay Lone comes out. He was just <laughs> on the show a few weeks back. Um, oh, he was just on the show, and I, I it just I I've always been a Tay Lone fan, uh, and, and just having him on the show a few weeks back was a, was a great opportunity. It was a great thing. It was amazing. And to see him on Raw was just even even better. Um, you can tell that he was really excited because he was dancing. You know, he he did a little bit. He danced a little bit longer than than normal. You could tell that he was really <laughs> excited. Um, to me, that was the best part of the segment. I think that the other. I, I think that the rest of the segment was just. I mean, it, it just flatlined to me. I think it was just hokey. I think it was just kind of like you know. Um, the way that I explained yesterday was I, it, it reminded me of like a, a, a teacher going away from the classroom, like a sixth grade teacher going away from the classroom to use the bathroom. And then everybody in the classroom just kind of bickering and complaining to one, to one another, just kind of, you know, middle school ranting, you know, and bantering. I, I, it was just totally just, horrible i just didn't like any part of it it just seems like people were kind of forgetting their part on the script and it was just it was just really really poorly done to me well you know i'm, I'm actually going to disagree with you there i uh, i like the visual of them at the top of the ladders to open the show i thought um and like you said there were some times where it seemed a little like oh i forgot what i was supposed to say you know and <laughs> it was a little childish but I thought, you know, it showed some personality 
for most of these guys. And, and that's more than we've been getting for like the last few years. I mean, yeah. when, um, when Chris Jericho, you know, he just says the, the Apple, Appleton, the big app, you know, just mm-hmm. obviously lying and, and Kevin Owens trying to put everyone down and, and Dean Ambrose saying, I'll, I'll fight a polar bear. I don't care. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> It's giving us some insight into their character, and that's that's always been a big thing with me, right? It's um, oh, WWE yeah. does a pretty bad job these days of making good characters, and I don't mean gimmicks, I don't mean catchphrases or you know stuff you put on a T-shirt. I mean like the the, the act, the the values or the the way a person acts. Um, if you'll indulge me, um, maybe maybe you'll play a game with me, right? Uh, there's there's this uh, online site called Red Letter Media, and the uh, there's a reviewer called Mr. Plinkett, mm-hmm. and he did a review of uh, the, the Star Wars Episode One, and he he called this character thing, and he, he did a really good job with it. And one of the things he did with his friends was he said, "Okay, I'm going to name you some Star Wars characters, and you tell me about their character. You can't say who played them, like you know, like you can't say Harrison Ford. You can't say what they did in the script." You know, like, oh, he blew up the Death Star. You have to tell me about who they are as a person, like if you were describing how they act, right? And so, you know, Harrison Ford, and they were able to say, I'm sorry, Han Solo, they were able to say, oh, he's the rogue. He plays by his own rules. He's like in it for the money, but he really likes his friends. And Mm -hmm. C-3PO is, you know, oh, he's prissy and, you know, he's kind of uptight. Okay, and what about Qui-Gon Jinn? And people were like, oh, uh, I don't know. And and you could do the same thing for wrestling, right? So let's let's play that game right now. Like mm-hmm. John John Cena, tell me about his character. Uh, hustle, loyalty, respect. Well, that's a catchphrase. Tell me about his character. Well, his, character his character kind of embodies that too. Yeah, like uh, the never yeah. never give up, right? The never give count. up. Yeah. yeah, but I I told I want to play I want to continue to play this game. Continue. To, Continue to uh, naming people, but as a sidebar, I one billion percent agree with you. I've been saying this, you know, for the past four, you know, four plus years on my on my podcast. I totally agree with that because I'm old school. I'm a traditionalist when it comes to wrestling, so character building is just is paramount to me. So yeah, I agree with you. So yeah, you said John Cena. Who, who else do you have? Well, yeah, he's like so, like the Miz. I'm giving you some easy ones, right? <laughs> the Miz. Yeah. Tell me about the Miz. Um, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood character, kind of brash, kind of uh, you know, pompous. Um, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, like, so you you get an idea of who he is now. Tell me about Titus O'Neil. Mm. Right. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he makes that noise. That's all you know about him, right? And like, and I, I, like, I like that they're giving him some time. You know, now I think he's he well deserves it. But you know, they're like making him like pro American, which is kind of like you know, like a it's a cop out, right? Like Titus O'Neil. When I think of oh, Axel yeah. Jim Duggan, I think of pro American. When I think of Titus O'Neil, the first thing I don't think of is oh, he likes the U.S. a lot, right? Uh, like they need to make. Titus Titus like I don't know anything about him same thing for guys like um, I don't know Darren Young like I, I like I, I same thing I they're trying to give him some time with Bob Backlund but it's doing more for Bob Backlund than it is for for, for Darren Young I don't know anything oh, yeah. about him definitely and, and yeah. so that's why that's why I like this this bid on top of the ladder like you kind of got a sense of 
not all the guys like, you know, Cesaro was pretty quiet. Um, but, you know, Jericho, who, who we kind of know already, but Kevin Owens, um, Dean Ambrose, like, I think you, you just, it helps flesh out their characters a little bit more and it's consistent with their characters, which I think is great because mm-hmm. some of the decisions they made, like having the undertaker be Vince McMahon's lackey, totally inconsistent with his character. No rhyme or reason whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's kind of what left a bad taste in my mouth anyway. And I think a lot of people kind of intrinsically realize like this isn't something he'd normally do, but we're, I guess we're supposed right. to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you make a good point. Uh, here's the issue that I have, uh, you know, and, and I interviewed Brett Maddox last week uh, here on the show and he was talking about the script process. He was talking about how, um, I mean, it, it's word for word. It's not even bullet points for most of the, you know, wrestlers that are in the WWE. It's it's not even like, hey, let's, you know, let's figure this out. What do you, what do you think, you know, we should say? It's word for word verbatim that you have to memorize like a script. And that just, uh, in, in most cases, that just takes the life out of someone just naturally and organically just kind of embodying a character and just kind of bringing life to it. I mean, you're not an actor, you're a you're you're a sports entertainer and you're you want to embody the character, the gimmick that that you're given. And you can't do that with just trying to, you know, memorize word for word scripts, you know. Um and I think with this spot, I think it just kind of really to me when I was looking at it, I just kept looking at gaping holes within the script and people not really fluidly understanding or fluidly kind of saying their part when they were supposed to. And it just kind of seemed like it was just gaping holes within people just forgetting what they were supposed to say. It didn't seem like it was a type of character enhancement to me because each of them, each of the six people that we saw don't really have other than Jericho, they haven't really had a, had a chance to embody their character for it to be as over and infectious as a rock, as an Austin, you know, as, as some, as a taker, even as a Kurt angle, you know, uh, and someone like that, you know, it just seems like five of those six people, you know, are WWE cookie cuttered manufactured yep. gimmicks. You know, and, and that's and that's the issue that I saw within that within that, and and I and I understand your point. I think it's a fair point where you said, at least there was some opportunity to get away from that. But even when I saw that segment, I still saw that I saw I saw lapses in the script. You know, and it just seems like, you know, we're getting way too much of that, and it's just it's it's just taking the life away from from the. You know, from the clear-cut baby face and heel that people either love to hate or are totally infectious and, and attracted to, and I think that we're missing. I think that's the biggest element that we're missing in the WWE. And looking at segments like that, it's like, oh man, you know, <laughs> you forgot this line. I forgot this line. Let's just kind of improv. But right. the improv just didn't re- really work that much to me. Yeah. I th- and, you know, there's the old adage when it comes to, to like, movies and TV, it's um, show, don't tell, right? And so if, if a person, mm-hmm. if a person like Sami Zayn is supposed to be the, quote, underdog from the underground, 
WWE, they try to get that into people's heads by just having them say it over and over again. But, you know, I haven't really seen them show me any reason why that's the case. You know, right. like, what makes sense? Like, Daniel Bryan was an underdog, and they, and they, you know, I think they inadvertently made him that, right? They, I think mm-hmm. they just by squashing him a lot, but, you know, people still got behind them. So their their philosophy seems to be, like, we're just going to tell people who we are. Like, we're not really going to, like, dedicate any time to showing them who, who they are. I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine Austin just constantly saying, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, you know, the the baddest MF on the planet and, but not really, but doing this 50, 50 booking with him and, right. uh, you know, having him scripted, you know, Austin three sixteen never would have happened if he was scripted, like all, all the greatest moments, uh, all the greatest turns of events in, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years in WWE, in my opinion, really haven't been scripted. Um, Guys like Mick Foley got over by surprise for them. Stone Cold mm-hmm. Steve Austin wasn't supposed to be the guy. Uh, they, that was kind of a surprise for them, too. Uh, a lot of these, these great moments and great characters come in spite of WWE's plans, not because of it. Yeah, I mean, go, go back even further. You know, Jake Roberts. You know, I mean, Brian Pillman. You know, those, those are two people who... Would throw, would would set a script on fire if they if they you know if it was in their faces, you know. But they got over because of their ability to, you know, uh, to, to to their 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 art of spontaneity and their their ability to improv improvise on the spot, and that just that the the the, far, the, the, the fact that they had just an amazing ability to cut a promo, you know, because they had that gift of gab and they had that psychological ability to really, you know, captivate a crowd with what they said. And I've said this before, you know, back in the eighties, you know, your, your promo was your merchandise. That's how you put yourself over. That's the reason why we have so many good promo cutters. You know, Arn Anderson was a good promo cutter. Road Warrior Hawk was a good promo cutter, you know, because every time in, in NWA world championship wrestling, after you would have that match, I don't care if you're Manny Fernandez Dick Murdoch, you know, uh, uh, the the Road Warriors, the Horsemen, I don't care who you are. After you're done with that match, you're coming right over there where that podium is, where Tony Schiavone and either, you know, and Bob Cottle or David Crockett, you're going to talk to them, you're going to cut a promo about Saturday night. You know, so, and that's how it was back then, and that's the reason why promos were so that, that's why the promos were such a big part of of character building. Nowadays, it's just not, and that's, that's what's unfortunate about the current product. Yeah, and and here's what's interesting though: there's a big discord between the amount of trust they place in a wrestler's ability to wrestle versus their ability to talk. Right. Yep. So when you when you think about it, when you step into the ring with someone, you're basically you know, putting their life in your hands. You know, there's, there's a lot of trust that needs to happen. And, and when, when they plan out these matches, they don't plan them spot for spot, move for move. They have a framework. Okay, you know, these are the high points that we've we got to make sure to hit, and in between we'll, we'll call it, you know, as, as in the ring. Mm-hmm. So why, why in, in the riskiest, most important part of the show, which is the wrestling, you give them the freedom to be creative and fill in the gaps in a way that they see fit. 
But for something that's arguably much less important, the talking part, you don't give them that same freedom. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think that's that's got to be very frustrating if, if yeah. you're a performer to say, look, you, you know, you're trusting me with the risky stuff, but not the, the simple stuff. And right. you're kind of putting me in a box creatively. And it, that's got to be very frustrating for them. I, uh, absolutely. How well said. Um, you know, and throughout well, throughout all, we had the uh, quality, every, the, the money in the bank, people had to go against each other is pretty much, you know, what the part of Raw was. Muhammad Ali tributes. You had the uh, video package between Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns. Um, the John Cena calling out AJ Styles and uh, the club coming with him and New Day making the save. Um, uh, the, the Charlotte and Dana Brooke entering promo. Uh, Natalia and Becky Lynch coming out. Um, it seems like, you know, Raw Villains defeating the Enzo and Cass. The Raw Villains defeating Enzo and Cass for the purposes of making a four way, what it seems like, um, mm-hmm. which, which is confirmed for. Uh, Money in the bank, and then you have uh, r truth and and Tyler Breeze um, into a no contest. So it seems like they're really uh, doing this Breezango, which I think is good for Fondango and Tyler Breeze because both of them were just totally you know pointless by themselves. So Breezango Breezango is actually helping them. I don't know too much about the go. I don't know so much about the Golden Truth. I just have a soft spot for our truth and go does. So yeah, them too. doing something, you know what I mean. So them doing something is better than them just kind of jobbing on main event or something like that, you know. So yeah. uh, that's where I'm at on that. And then finally, the club beating the New Day. Uh, what are some takeaways, real quick, uh, that you have uh, for Raw um, and, and just the whole Teddy Long thing? They just kind of made him foolish uh, throughout the night. It seems like they did that for the purpose of the whole new era thing. Do you think that that actually worked or or not? And what other takeaways did you have? Well, I mean, I don't like the way they handled Teddy Long. I think you still could have done the same thing, you know, kind of have him come in and, and do his, you know, the, the patented tag team match, you know, <laughs> that he always makes, mm-hmm. um, you know, get people happy to see him but at the same time, say, look, it's a new era and, and all that. Uh, they didn't have to make him look like a, like a duttering old fool though. Uh, that that kind of yeah. left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, yeah. He was part of the programming for years and years and like, you know, he, he had his quirks and everything, but like I said, you know, character consistency, um, <laughs> being an idiot wasn't one of them. And that's basically what he, what he was right. one day. Um, another takeaway, you know, just listening to you say some of the names like the club and Breezango and all that, WWE is really bad at naming stuff, aren't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I cannot putting... stand that club name. The club <laughs> makes me want to think of like a, the, the, the car protection device, the club. Yeah, or a sandwich, right? I'll have the yeah, club. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's like put a little thought. I mean, even like go back to the days, you know, like my – the time when I, what I consider like my peak fan in the attitude era, like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the names they came up with him, like Fang McFrost and Ice Dagger. And yeah. uh, for mankind, it was Meats and the Mutilator. It's just, just horrible, horrible names. <laughs> they really got to yeah. work on that. Like Breezango is probably the laziest name they could have thought of yeah. other than the club. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, you know, I, it just, Raw to me just uh, wasn't very intriguing. Um, I don't know. I, it 
AJ Styles can't afford another loss. Uh, he, he definitely can't. He has to win a Money in the Bank. It just I don't see any. I mean, talk about your bringing someone in to just devour them. Uh, as far as character is concerned, I mean, he's lost two straight pay per views, um, and, and actually three because he lost WrestleMania and he lost uh, uh, Payback and Extreme Rules. So he lost three straight pay per views. And he's only been in uh, what four? Five, Royal Rumble. Oh, he he he, he got in Royal Rumble, and he was in <laughs> he was in Fast Lane. He beat Jericho. Yeah, so yeah. you know two, you know two and three, uh, in pay per views. That's not really a good way to introduce someone who you want to you know be in the main event. So definitely wasn't a big fan of that um, at all. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's go to the. Um, Flavor of the week, and then uh, we will uh, get to the predictions for NXT. It is now time for the flavor of the week. We're just going to relive uh, WrestleMania 1. We're just going to go through the matches right quick and just what we remember from WrestleMania 1. We had Tito Santana uh, defeating the Executioner uh, by submission. We had King Kong Bunny defeating SD Jones. Uh, Ricky Steamboat defeating Matt Bourne. Uh, David San Martino, that's a, that's a name uh, that people don't know too much. Um, defeating uh, British Beefcake. Actually, that ended up in double disqualification. Uh, JYD beating uh, Greg Valentine, but it was by count out, so he didn't win the Intercontinental title. Um, the uh, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik. Uh, end up beating the U.S. Express for the Tag Team Championship. Andre the Giant beat uh, Big Don, John Studd for $15,000 by the Stand Challenge. Uh, Randy Richter defeats Leilani Kai for the Women's Championship. And then Hulk Hogan and Mr. T defeating Piper and Orndor with uh, Muhammad Ali and Pat Patterson as the guest referee. What are your uh, memories of WrestleMania 1? Yeah, I watched WrestleMania 1. Um, it actually aired. I was just a kid. I watched it when I was a little bit older. I remember Andre the Giant throwing money into the crowd and thinking to myself, man, I wish I was in that crowd. <laughs> All that money I could have gotten. Uh, obviously, you know, the main event is, is the highlight of the show. Um, I was a huge Hulkamaniac. Uh, I love the A-team, you know, Mr. T uh, from that and also Rocky Three also starring Hulk Hogan or co-starring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was, I was big into that match and uh, I thought it, it was, it was fun for what it was, you know, it's not like a, a wrestling classic, but in terms of, you know, hype and anticipation and uh, you know, the drama of it, I, I thought it was very well executed and, and overall I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that uh, WrestleMania one was definitely um, one of those one of those events that it was supposed to be kind of like a, a spectacle, you know, it was, right. it, it was the first of its kind. And, and, and there, there's been many a times where, you know, we've heard stories of, uh, you know, Pat Patterson saying that, uh, uh, well, Vince McMahon said, if, you know, this bombs, basically WWE's done, you know? So, um, and I think bringing in, you know, those, um, those personalities outside of the WWE, like Cindy Lauper, like Muhammad Ali, uh, I think those really helped uh, the WWE just really kind of um, propel into, you know, 
better level in, in WrestleManias, and uh, now we're at uh, 32, you know, going into 33, and it worked. You know, it was a, a, great, a great risk, but, uh, you know, it, it really helped them out. So, real quick, let's go into uh, NXT TakeOver The End. I'm really excited about this um, this special uh, next uh, tomorrow, uh, actually. Uh, well, actually, technically tonight. Um, so we have Shian uh, uh, Andra Chien Amos uh, going against uh, Ty Dillinger. Um, who do you have winning that? Um, I'm going to say Shian Amos since it's his debut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree too. Uh, for some reason, Dillinger just gets plugged into these matches where it really didn't help his gimmick. But uh, American Alpha against uh, the Revival. You have. I'm going to go with American Alpha. I think they just won the belts like two months ago, and WWE in general likes to do long title reigns unless you're Zack Ryder. Yeah. Well, with, yeah, that was just a, a day, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I got American Alpha, too. They're, they're probably one of the hottest tag teams going on right now. Oxa, uh, uh, Asuka and uh, Nia Jax. I think Asuka is going to retain, but I think Nia Jax is – you know, the way they set it up is they want her to be like this dominant, you know, basically monster. So I think she'll retain probably either due to like excessive force or disqualification or something like that. Hmm. That would be interesting. Hard-hitting match. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I got Asuka retaining too. Shinsuke Nakamura and Austin Aries. Uh, Nakamura. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. he's brought in with a lot of fanfare and they, they didn't bring him in to lose. Yeah, absolutely. You'll probably see a full-blown heel turn from Aries uh, as well after the match. And then finally, Samoa Joe and Finn Balor. I'm going to go with Samoa Joe to retain. Yeah, I got Samoa Joe too. I think it's about time for a uh, Finn Balor call-up. All right, so about 15 seconds, man. Uh, where can we find you, Sean? Oh, I'm I'm from parts unknown. <laughs> you don't got to find me anywhere. Thanks, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as social media. No, I, I know, but I, I, I'm I'm private when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm not looking oh, to plug anything. Oh, Yeah. Thank Are you. you riding anywhere anymore? Uh, no, no. I have three little kids now, and then I took on a new job, and that's why I had to kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. I'll step away yeah. for a while. Maybe I'll come back. Who knows? Sounds good. Well, appreciate you having me on the show, uh, Sean. Um, it, it, it's awesome uh, to to be able to bring you in as a co-host. And, uh, yeah, I had a great time uh, chatting it up with you. Same here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Awesome. All right, everybody, thanks for, co- uh, thanks for the show. Thanks for uh, listening to us, episode 219. Fantastic, as always. Thank you, Eric Escobar, for having a fantastic interview. Enjoy your week of wrestling. God bless. Enjoy. Goodbye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.